on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat poles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. First, some genre-related news before today's discussion. DC Comics' Doom Patrol returned with its second season last week. The streaming series, which had debuted on the DC Universe platform, relocates to HBO Max. The first three episodes dropped simultaneously, and future shows will be available on a weekly basis. Returning with its second season later this month is Umbrella Academy on Netflix. Season 1 ended in a cliffhanger. It's been confirmed that Season 2 will be set in the 1960s, and with the comics consisting of three volumes, there's every reason to believe that the popular series will get a third season on Netflix. Season 2 episodes will be available starting July 31st. And there's a release date for Season 2 of The Boys on Amazon Prime. You can check out a sneak peek for the upcoming season on the Fantastic Forum Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Fantastic Forum. And while you're there, if you haven't already, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We love to be liked and we like to be followed. And some sad news, as noted comics artist Joe Sinnott passed away on June 25th. Known primarily as an inker, Sinnott enjoyed the distinction of having worked an astoundingly long stretch on the Fantastic Four from 1965 until 1981, and during his freelance career of 60 years, worked on such titles as The Avengers, Thor, and The Defenders. He continued to ink the Spider-Man syndicated comic strip until his retirement last year. He was 93. Today, we're talking about the career of special effects artist Ray Harryhausen in recognition of what would have been his 100th birthday earlier this week. And joining me today on this special coronavirus edition of Fantastic Forum, because we are sheltering in place, we are observing social distancing, we are quarantining as all good Americans should under these crisis conditions, but I'm joined by former Wildstorm and Chaos Comics editor, author, and uh, an incredibly nice guy, Drew Bittner. Hello. Also, uh, we have SIGGRAPH board member, graphic artist, and artist advocate. He is the one, the only, the redoubtable Roberto Ortiz. Nice to be here. And somebody who I have had the pleasure of interviewing on the show before, but never actually had him as a panelist, and he's so much fun and so knowledgeable, geek cred serious i don't even know why we haven't had him on before but he is a author and a current editor for tour uh he is greg cox welcome greg presenting accounted for all right so before we actually get going with the show i did want to mention because of course the rigors of the production of the show uh being conducted the way it is with the studios closed and having to sort of 
jury rig something. Uh, we had to record prior to getting the news last week of the death of longtime Marvel Comics inker Joe Sennett. And uh, I probably shouldn't simply describe him as a Marvel Comics inker because he also worked for uh, DC Comics and for a number of other independents. And he wasn't simply an inker. Uh, he was also an illustrator, but who worked primarily as an inker. And one thing that I can say about the remarkable career of Joe Sennett, uh, I believe he holds the record for uh, having inked a particular title for a consecutive number of issues. And I'd be referring to the Fantastic Four. Hmm. And um, he worked as an inker on that title for close to 20 years. 20 actually, years. Yeah, close to 20 years. It, wow. it, during that time period, he inked Jack Kirby, he inked John Buscema, he inked John Romita. Um, wow. I mean, just absolutely astounding run uh, on the Fantastic Four. And so uh, we Did they will... drag him out of there, kicking and screaming? It's like, ah! <laughs> Possibly. Why? You know, he also did quite a bit of work on the uh, Spider-Man syndicated strip. And that's where younger listeners would have been more likely to have become familiar with his, with his work. And he only uh, retired from that, uh, I want to say about two years ago. But uh, yeah. Wow. Joe Sennett, remarkable um, inker, illustrator, uh, all around comics legend. So uh, I doff my cowl to you. How rare it is for somebody to have a career like that right now in the industry? Uh and to be able to be that consistent, that's impressive. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, meeting deadlines is obviously a thing of the past, but, you know, now it seems as if you have guys who are both writing and drawing with an eye towards trade uh, paperbacks. Yes. And so, you know, you, they'll do five or six issues, enough to be compiled in a single trade, and then they're on to number next. I mean, you don't even see the longevity that, uh, you know, for somebody to work on a book for even a, a year let alone for a couple of years anymore. So, yeah. yeah. The only comparison I can think of is maybe Tom Palmer, who I think did Tomb of Dracula for like, you know, all 70 issues or so. But yeah, you don't see that kind of run, you know. Mm. Yeah, indeed. And Tom Palmer, another one. In fact, he's he's one of my favorite. I actually, not simply one of my favorite. I, I would describe Tom Palmer as being one of the top five inkers in the business. You know, I mean, he was so versatile in terms of everybody's, uh, well, the various people who he could ink. And because I think the best inkers, uh, their style changes depending on who they're inking. And, uh, you know, because there are certain illustrators that may need something and some other illustrators don't, you know. So, but I digress. Anyway, so uh, moving along to the uh, main subject of today's show uh there's a fellow by the name of ray harryhausen and uh regrettably uh he passed away back in 2013 but june 29th would have been ray harryhausen's 100th birthday and the reason that he is noteworthy is when it comes to motion picture special effects his name personifies movie magic and the roster of films that he did, because uh, Mr. Harryhausen, for the uninitiated and for some of our younger listeners, uh, he 
was a pioneer in stop-motion animation. Now, some of you listening will say, oh, what's stop-motion animation? Because, of course, we have computer-generated uh, stuff today. But uh, stop-motion animation was the primary way that you achieved a certain level of special effects back in the old days. And uh, it required creating an uh, armature, and, you know, for whatever character it was that you wanted to animate and uh, putting uh, either flesh or uh, clay or fur or whatever on top of this armature to create the creature. And uh, then you pose the creature and you take a frame and then you move the creature slightly and you take another frame and you move the creature slightly and you take another frame. As you might imagine, a very painstaking way to achieve the illusion of motion. But this is how, uh, in, in any dinosaur movie that wasn't uh, a Gila monster with a fin taped <laughs> to his back, <laughs> you, mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, for the, uh, now... Uh, I have no idea what you're not, talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah, well... For a yeah, man a rubber suit. You're a graphic artist. <laughs> yeah. So, but a roster of uh, some of the films, and I'm not going to name all of them, because there's so many, but, you know, starting with Mighty Joe Young... The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, It Came from Beneath the Sea, Earth versus the Flying Saucers, 20 Million Miles to Earth, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, Mysterious Island, Valley of Guanji, Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger, Clash of the Titans. Well, as you might imagine, this is a roster of some of the biggest movies in genre history. And I, I, I will kind of get the conversation started uh, by mentioning one of my favorite sequences from a Ray Harryhausen film. And it was one I didn't mention, Jason and the Argonauts. Uh -huh. <laughs> but there, is a, there is a sequence there where uh, Jason and, uh, and his crew from the Argo uh, have uh, stolen the Golden Fleece. And so the um, the the uh, people who um, own the fleece. Uh, I forget the land where they came from. I remember that was where Jason met Medea. Uh, please, uh, Greg, what, what, what's, what's... I believe it was the land of Colchis at the end of the world. Ah, ah there you <laughs> go, my man. Geek cred strong. So um, anyway, but uh, they, they uh, gathered uh, the children of the Hydra's teeth, as they call them, because, uh, of course, Jason slew the Hydra as they were stealing the golden fleece. And uh, so the, these teeth uh, from the Hydra, they spread them out like seeds. And uh, the, some of the warriors who had been killed by the teeth of the Hydra sprouted up, but they sprouted up as skeletons and they had these shields and swords and they started fighting the men of the Argo. And I had never seen anything like this. This was, I mean, it was, bedlam it was pandemonium it was a tremendous scene and uh, you know you can probably find it on youtube or you can actually watch the entire film but a really fantastic action scene it required coordinating live actors with uh stuff that hadn't even been created at the time that they shot the live actors you know because of course the stop motion animation came much later but one of the most exciting sequences to this day in film, and certainly in uh, science fiction or fantasy uh, or horror film. 
But uh, yeah, that that happens to be uh, one of my favorite sequences from a Ray Harryhausen film. Um, Greg, uh, since you are doing your first episode as a member of the panel, we'll go to you next. Uh, what was one of your favorite scenes from a Ray Harryhausen film? Well, in fact, I will say that I, I'm, we're on the same page here. Jason and the Argonauts is far and away my favorite Ray Harryhausen movie. And I will mention, by the way, the sequence you mentioned, which is the final battle where he takes on, you know, he and his men take on six or seven skeletons. Apparently that scene took four months to film. Wow. And apparently sometimes they were getting like a second and a half of footage a day because, as you mentioned, it, A, Harryhausen pretty much did the animation all by himself. He didn't have, you know, ILM working for him, an entire company. Mm. And it painstakingly, I move a skeleton, I move, you know, I move it a fraction of an inch and I take a picture and move it a fraction. Four months I, to prep for this session tonight, I just watched a documentary on Ray Harryhausen on YouTube. And yeah, they said that the battle with the Children of the Hired Sea took four months for. And that's probably presumably not counting shooting the live action footage, <laughs> the actors <laughs> jumping around and swinging their swords at nothing, you know. Mm -hmm. a, a question Was he also the producer of his movies? What's that? Was he also the producer of the movies? No, the producer was a guy named Charles Schneer. Hmm. Um, but they worked very much in collaboration. They yeah, that's what I saw. 27 that. years. Yeah. I mean, some some of his films, I mean, he was associate, well, he was given associate producer credit on some of them. And, um, you know, but uh, of the stuff that I've seen, it, it apparently only Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger and yeah. Golden Voyage of Sinbad is he actually listed as producer. And even those associate producer credits, I'd be a little dubious of, you know, only because, uh, you know, sometimes... Yeah, because you're doing so much work, that's another way to get a check, <laughs> you know, so, uh, and a nice way to um, observe uh, some of the tremendous contribution that somebody is making to a film. And, uh, you know, as uh, Greg points out, uh, the, the work that you do, as, and especially working alone for a discipline like stop motion animation, mm -hmm. um, it was, it was going to take a lot of time and be, I mean, painstaking again is the word that comes to mind. It was... Well, at one point, we're talking about Ray Harrison's role. It would be actually a mistake, especially with some of his movies, to just, oh, he was just the special effects dude. I mean, he was not, maybe have not been officially the producer. He may not have been the director. But, you know, we can draw a distinction between the movies where, he, okay, he was on the special effects team and he provided the special effects. And, but something like um, Seven Boys of Sinbad... Jason, yeah, you know, those were conceived of as Ray Harryhausen movies. He was the creative force behind them. The purpose of the movies was to showcase rare, you know, Harryhausen. You know, he was in fact the marquee name. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, we are sitting down to make a Ray Harryhausen movie, and a Ray Harryhausen movie involves, you know, the plot is going to be a framework on which we put show off Ray Harryhausen's creatures and monsters and stop motion animation. So. Yeah, he was not just, you know, the guy, on something like One Million Years B.C., you know, which was Raquel Welch and the Fur Bikini, you know, okay, he was the guy who animated the monsters, and he got accredited as the special effects guy, but I wouldn't call that a Ray Harryhausen movie, if you, get, you know. Uh, that, that, that was a Raquel Welch movie. <laughs> You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA, 96.7 FM.
Radio Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I am joined today by Drew Bittner and Greg Cox and Roberto Ortiz, and we are talking about the fabulous career of the late Ray Harryhausen, who would have celebrated his 100th birthday uh, earlier this week. So, um, uh, you know, I'm going to pivot to uh, Drew. And uh, Drew, what uh, what do you have a particular favorite uh, of the stuff that Ray Harryhausen did? Yeah, the the Sinbad movies for me were the entry point for Harryhausen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I I thought those movies were amazing, and it kind of was one of those many things that added in that became sort of the, the foundation for me being fascinated by science fiction and fantasy my whole life. Um, and going on from there, of course, when you see the name Harry House and you start thinking, oh, my gosh, I really got to see this. So so you watch Mighty Joe Young, which he did with his mentor, Willis O'Brien. Mm-hmm. You know, and you watch um, Valley of Guanji, which was based on actually something that Willis O'Brien wrote back in the 30s. So, you know, um, all these all these things and all these places that he went to and touched with his his, um, you know, special effects wizardry. I mean, it, and it's not just the things that he did, it's the people that he inspired, too. But I, I know we'll get to that. So. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And in fact, uh, so Roberto, uh, I understand that you actually met Ray Harryhausen. Yes, I did. Uh, I actually have an autographed DVD of uh, Jason and the Argonauts at home right now in my living room. Uh, he was, when his book on visual effects came out uh, back in the uh, early O's, he was doing a book tour and he came to Richmond for a signing and actually embarrassed the hell out of myself, basically fawning over him. So, <laughs> 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 but uh, he was a really cool guy and he basically, uh, and that's one of my proudest possessions to have basically his autograph at home. So yeah, mm. I met him. Cool guy, yeah. really. Wow. Down right. to work. And uh, what's, what's one of your favorite Ray Harryhausen? I can tell you my favorite it's... memory of, of uh, of something I saw, uh, seeing Clash of the Titans with my dad in a movie theater was like mind blowing. That was my first in, uh, movie related uh, introduction to him. Then on TV, I saw the Balewanji, uh, the concept of the dinosaurs fighting with uh, cowboys. I found that awesome. And uh, Simbad of the Eye of the Tiger, uh, the whole movie was awesome. And that's the thing. That's why I like how he described him that he's the guy who made awesome <laughs> made awesome visuals awesome stories and made them fun uh, and you can tell how much he loved the craft because everything was so well designed and so well thought out um I, and i i still remember that day going with my dad to see uh clash of the titans and what impression that movie left on me mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, they they actually uh, coined a name uh, for uh, his style of stop motion animation. And I'm I'm not going to remember, Greg. We were talking about this before. What what did they call it? Dynamation. Ah, there you go. And then in some of the later movies, they moved on to super dynamation. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And in fact, I was just watching the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad the other night, and in the credits, you know, it's like. 
filmed in the startling new marvel of dynamation you know <laughs> oh yeah well you know I, I, another one of my favorite Harryhausen pictures is uh, even though it was one of the earlier ones uh, earth versus the flying saucers yep. and um you know one of what part of what i really loved about that and you know all right this is this is how much of a geek that i am so um when i went to paris <laughs> i come up out of the out of the metro and there's looking at the um eiffel tower and all i'm thinking about is the scene from earth versus flying saucers where Nerd. it's like cut in half <laughs> yeah. and i was like oh this is the same angle of the eiffel tower as in earth versus flying saucers it's destroyed <laughs> uh, don't feel bad i did the same thing when i came to dc and i saw the, the washington monument i was thinking about the day they are too still so yeah, it's yes, a kick thing. Yes, yes, but that wasn't a Harryhausen. Oh, hell no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, the, the thing about uh, that Earth versus the Flying Saucers, uh, I mean, that, I mean, <laughs> okay, it might be silly, but to me, that's still kind of a scary movie. I mean, why? Uh, well, geez, the Earth is getting invaded, and at one point, uh, you know, the uh, the female lead, because her dad is a general, and they've, like, scanned his brain, and he's on board the flying saucer, and they got some kind of beam directed at him, and you can actually see his brain inside his head, <laughs> you know? I mean, and then the flying, so the aliens drop him out of the freaking saucer, you know? It's like, yeah, we're done with you, general. Yeah, here you go. Yeah. I mean, and they were some creepy things walking around with, like, all stiff-legged and stiff-armed and stuff, you know? I mean, the unknown can be scary. And, uh, I mean, I'll grant you that, uh, you know, maybe the beast from 20,000 Fathoms, which shockingly holds up pretty well. That was on. I mean, anytime one of these Harryhausen pictures is on, I'm inclined to tune in and take a look. But, uh, you know, that beast with 20,000 Fathoms, I was, I was really surprised at, you know, how, how beautifully the beast moved and how fluid all of that was, you know? Yep. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so like I said, we're kind of round-robining it. Um, you know, we'll uh, move on to Greg again next. Well, one thing that's obvious, clearly the guy didn't never liked to make it easy for himself. He was no. always pushing himself to challenge. It's like, oh, so in Sinbad, I had him fight one skeleton? Okay, in Jason, he'll fight seven skeletons. <laughs> or, oh, there'll be a giant killer bird. But, okay, we'll give the giant bird two heads, you know. Oh, I with feather. See. Don't forget that. That has feather. And feather is so easy to animate. So, hey, how <laughs> could that be? <laughs> well, okay, we'll have a statue come to life. Okay, well, the statue will have six arms, you know. So, you can see there was always challenging himself to, okay, what have I already done? And let's just dial it up. Okay, you know, Medusa. We're going to animate every single snake on her head, you know. Mm -hmm. not, 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 we're not going to take it easy here. It's like, what have we done and how can we just dial it up another notch? He was His whole career, right up to his last movie for the younger people in the audience. And maybe the one they're most familiar with would be the, uh, what we have to now call the original Clash of the Clashes. Right there, you can see, okay, well, I'm going to do Medusa. And I'm going to give her, I'm going to animate every single writhing, you know, um, serpent in her head. And indeed, and in Jason, you've got the Hydra. Oh, he's going to fight a monster? No, I'm going to give him a monster with a snake's tail and seven heads, you know. Mm -hmm. Give me seven heads to animate one frame at a time. So, <laughs> if I, just going back to Jason again, which is, again, my all-time favorite. Um, 
Talos, the giant statue. Mm, Talk mm. about scary moments. You've got this to recreate it. Um, there's this giant, colossal statue that seems to be inanimate. And then there's this creaking noise, and it slowly turns its head. <laughs> oh, yeah. God, Jason and his people are in deep trouble. <laughs> it, it's just, besides the animation, it's nicely staged because, oh, there's this yeah. huge monument. It's just sitting there. And then it's like, you're, oh, you're here. You're here. And now the Statue of Liberty just turned its head and it's giving me a dirty look. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, Talos and Jason and the Argonites, that whole sequence is just brilliantly filmed. Mm, I hear you. All right, uh, Drew? I mean, it's it's really one of those for me where if I see there's a Harryhausen movie on, if I'm like flipping through channels and I see it, it's it, do, it almost doesn't matter what it is. I'll, I'll want to watch it because, you know, uh, they're just so engaging and they're so you know, beautifully crafted, like, you know, like Greg and Roberto were saying, I mean, he, he never rested on his laurels. He always found something new to do, some, some new challenge to undertake. And he was working pretty much, you know, late yeah. into, you know, uh, I, I don't know that he was working up to, up to like the year that he, that he passed away, but he was constantly busy. And, you know, um, I think, I think that's the sort of thing that everybody would would love to have as part of their legacy that they that they never stopped they always kept trying new things and and trying to lift the bar even higher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Roberto, uh, Clash of the Titans. I love the uh, Medusa fight. Uh, I consider that to be amazingly well executed in terms of direction, staging, everything. Also, one scene that always stuck with me when that he did is on the mysterious island, the uh, the crab fight. Remember that mm, one? Yeah, I do. Yeah, and for some reason, that scene always stuck with me. It's, it's the silliest thing in the world. You're seeing a giant crab fighting two people. It's <laughs> uh, like, what the heck? And he made it work. And and again, on Clash of the Titans, every scene with Pegasus, uh, mm. he was... That's the thing. It, it's not enough that he was uh, a, a technician in terms of being able to understand the rules of movement and being able to do that. He was an actual artist he made stop motion into an art form and you can tell not only that he cared but there was refinement on the kind of work he did and it's very rare to see a person who do that kind of high quality work that you can put your finger and say oh wow that's that's a harry harry Hudson movie that's really polished because other stop motion artists have come and gone but he stays he's the one who's the legend well, uh, yeah, the, the only thing I was going to add to that was the fact that, and, and I think you referenced this, that he trained with uh, Willis O'Brien. Yes, he did. Uh, you know, who, of course, was the technician responsible for the original King Kong in 1933. Yeah. That stuff was incredibly painstaking, too. And for audiences in, uh, in 1933, nobody had ever seen anything like that. And so building on that, uh, and of course, to have the career that he did, because, you know, this was this was go-to basically go-to special effects and uh, you know the the incredible roster of films that he did is a testament to that but uh, that musical cue means that it's time for us to take a short break because of course fantastic forum comes to you via WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington Virginia we're community radio and among other things, what that means is that this is a place where you can get involved. Make it your business today to find out how 
community media can enrich your life. Visit the website at WERA.FM or ArlingtonMedia.org. So what we're going to do, we're going to step aside momentarily while we acknowledge the invaluable contribution of our underwriters and sponsors. We're also going to take the opportunity to promote some of the other fine WERA programming that's coming up later today and over the weekend. But sit tight because Roberto and Greg and Drew and I are nowhere near finished with you. So we'll be back right after this. All right, and we're back here on Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Greg Cox and Drew Bittner and Roberto Ortiz. And we've been talking primarily about the storied career of the legendary stop-motion animator, Ray Harryhausen, who would have celebrated his 100th birthday earlier this week. So in observance of his incredible career and the incredible artistry that uh, he was able to accomplish, we're talking a little bit about him and devoting a show to Dynamation and Super Dynamation. But uh, during the break, there was something that uh, Greg had mentioned that I hadn't been aware of. Uh, What had you been saying, Greg? Well, I just think now is the time, since we're talking about Ray Harris and his legacy, to mention that, in fact, the actress, Taryn Power, who was one of the two heroines in Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, actually sadly passed away this week at the age of 66. 66? My God. Yeah, that's too young to be, yeah. You know. uh, she, just to refresh people's memory, she, there were two heroines in that movie. One of them was Jane Seymour. Yeah. Somewhere in time, fame. And, but there was also a beautiful blonde princess, and that was Taryn Power, daughter of the 1940s movie star you know, Tyrone Power, who was indeed part of Ray Harryhausen's legacy and whom we can take a moment to tip our hat to today. Yeah, absolutely. I hadn't even heard that she died, and I certainly didn't know that this had been Tyrone Power's daughter. I mean... Well, it, it's funny, there was actually, they got, they actually milked some publicity out of that because Eye of the Tiger, Sinbad was played by Patrick Wayne, who was the son of John Wayne. Oh. <laughs> and I, I keep remember that the, 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 when the movie came out, there were some sidebars and, you know, oh, look, it's the son of John Wayne with the daughter of Tyrone Power. You know, second <laughs> no, you're, you're saying it right. You're saying it like the son of On the screen ball. now with Super Dynamation, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing I actually I think we should mention is that Ray, the reason he had such a long career is that he was a true he, uh, Ray Bradbury and uh, Forrest Ackerman were his best buds. And we owe a lot to the geek culture for those three guys, if you just think about it. Ray Bradbury from science fiction, Forrest Ackerman for basically creating the concept of cosplay and geek culture, and Ray for doing all his contributions to film. You know, the other connection there uh, that uh, I, I remember is uh, with George Powell. Yeah. Oh, yes. And, uh, in fact, I want to say that um, Harryhausen's first commercial model animation job uh, was uh, on a George Powell production. I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah. You know. But, um, yeah, getting back to, uh, to Harryhausen, I'm going to geek out over some more of his stuff. Because you had mentioned the Valley of Guanji, which yes. uh, 
James Franciscus starred in that. And um, uh, I have only recently found out that the female lead, G- uh, Gila Golan, uh, who pay- played TJ, um, and uh, uh, Gila or Gila Golan had been in um, uh, one of those Flint movies, like Our Man Flint or huh. uh, In Like Flint. And I mean, gorgeous, but I hadn't recognized her and, uh, you know, was in another group, you know, something on social media. And, uh, you know, somebody mentioned that she had been in Valley of Guanji. And I was like, well, I'll be doggone. She sure was. Look at that. You know, so all this. I learned, uh, I learned a piece of trivia Saturday night. Saturday night, Sven aired Seventh Voyage of Sinbad in honor of Harry Hausen's anniversary. Mm-hmm. And I confess, I have gone my entire life without knowing the princess in that movie. Uh, retired shortly thereafter because she married Bing Crosby, and wow. was Bing Crosby's wife for the rest of her. You know, she was Mrs. Wow. Bing Crosby. Apparently, she then retired, though she can apparently be seen in various Bing Crosby, you know, Christmas specials mm-hmm. with his family. I had no idea she was the future Mrs. Bing Crosby. Thank oh, wow. you, Julie. Okay, um, for dropping that bit of trivia to his broadcast Saturday night. Okay. Yeah, they're great for that. Yeah. No, so um, Valley of Guanji, <laughs> as Roberto, you were saying, kind of cowboys versus dinosaurs. It's and, an awesome uh, idea. It's like, how come they it, haven't done anything with this since then? This is an it's awesome a idea. It's, it's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Well, even the way it started, because I remember uh, TJ had this little miniature horse. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they were looking at the middle little miniature horse, and ultimately, I think I think it was an Allosaurus in that movie rather than a Tyrannosaurus Rex. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I always liked James Franciscus, and that uh, Gila Golan was really cool. And you know, seeing seeing the dinosaurs running amok and fighting <laughs> uh, cowboys. And in fact, as I recall, they brought one to like Mexico City or something, mm-hmm. and the Allosaurus mm-hmm. broke loose in Mexico City and. All this stuff. I mean, because, you know, and obviously bringing one of these prehistoric creatures to any urban area is always a terrible idea. But there's always somebody who's like, yes, we're going to do a festival or a carnival or, you know, eighth wonder of the world or whatever in the heck and bring these things in, not thinking that they're likely to escape. There's actually a callback from Ranji to the Ray Harryhausen's very first movie which is, you know, Mighty Joe Young, where he worked as assistant. And at the beginning of Mighty Joe Young, there's a scene where a bunch of cowboys who are in Africa, for reasons I cannot recall, <laughs> don't lasso in giant gorilla. somehow. <laughs> so, you know, cowboys, the sequence where the cowboys try to lasso the giant gorilla is echoed later on with the scenes where the cowboys try to lasso the dinosaurs. So <laughs> you can sort of see that there's a Willis O'Brien connection going through there, too, since... Guanji started out as an unrealized Willis O'Brien production. Actually, right. I have a, a bit of trivia. He used his connection to Ray Bradbury to get the piece from the 20,000 Phantoms made because that's a story by Ray Bradbury. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he used his connection because that's his best bud to basically get the movie made. Forrest Ackerman, Ray Bradbury, and him were best buds. They founded the science fiction league back in the 30s. They were super nerds, all three of them. Mm. Uh, and that's the thing. It's like we don't understand that the geek culture we all live in has its origin from these guys. It's their like touchstones in terms of how many careers they inspired. And not only in, uh, Ackerman in terms of how we cover geek culture, 
Beckworthy and how we write science fiction in terms of what it means, and Ray Harryhausen, how we see it in cinema. Hmm. It's in impressive. I mean, you build that time machine and you eliminate these three guys and it will be a completely different world right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I'd like to think somebody else would have stepped up, but, you know, again, for younger listeners who may not be familiar with um, Forrest Ackerman, Forrest J. Ackerman was uh, not only the, um, I want to say he was the publisher of Famous Monsters of Filmland, which was a, a very popular publication among we geeky types at one point, but also he had probably the biggest and greatest collection of uh, pop culture, science fiction-y material uh, that anybody, anybody short of maybe um, uh, Steve Jeppe <laughs> today, you know, this guy had some serious stuff. And Famous Monsters of Filmland was one of those fan-type publications that everybody read. And, uh, you know, especially if you were into the horror genre. I mean, that was... That was like required reading. Rick Baker, some of my biggest uh, horror FX artists from the 70s and 80s credit that magazine for inspiring them to go into the career. So, I read yeah. it religiously the whole time I was a kid. Yeah. Mm. Rick Baker, yeah. yeah. Rick Baker basically was like a super nerd. He's the guy who did the visual effects, the makeup effects for American Werewolf in London. Mm -hmm. And he credits that magazine for creating his career. George Lucas basically also same, says the same thing. Guillermo del Toro, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg. The amount of people that magazine inspires is mind-blowing. Him and uh, Ray Harryhausen were, I mean it, real important touchstones in terms of geek culture in the present. It, it cannot be understated how important they were. Him and, uh, of course, George Pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I like how you refer to them as touchstones. I'm sorry, Greg, were you going to say something? I was just going to throw in the footnote that Ackerman is also credited with coining the term sci-fi. There you go. Ah, uh -huh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's a very good call. No, what I was going to say was, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate, Roberto, how you have referred to these guys as touchstones. And, uh, you know, I think about, uh, you know, how Harryhausen's work change the industry and to the point where uh, I understand when um, Steven Spielberg was first looking at doing that first Jurassic Park film um, initially he was going to use stop-motion animation and it yes. was going to be the biggest and grandest stop-motion animation fest that anybody had ever seen uh, before somebody showed him uh, CG and, and then even after he saw the CG, because apparently he had lined up some stop-motion animation effects artists to do this, and I don't know whether it was that they were trying to avoid extinction or they genuinely believed this, but um, he showed them some CGI dinosaurs and then some stop-motion animated dinosaurs. And I, I saw this as part of a documentary a couple of years ago. And let me tell you, I mean, as much as I love stop-motion animation, the CGI stuff was better. And so, but apparently, as the story goes, Spielberg asked these technicians, well, which do you like better? And to a man, all of them said, the stop-motion animation stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but what wonder, one wonders what might have happened if... Uh, he had been compelled to go forward and use the stop motion animation 
rather than developing this whole new technology that has uh, become widely in vogue. So, anyway, you're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell, and I am joined today by Roberto Ortiz and Drew Bittner and Greg Cox. And we have been talking about the incredible life and career of Ray Harryhausen, who would have celebrated his 100th birthday earlier this week. So um, we got time for uh, one more round where we talk about Harryhausen or his work. Uh, uh, Greg, uh, what else you want to say about Harryhausen and his well, incredible... One movie, one movie we haven't talked about too much is The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, which was the second Sinbad movie that came out in the 70s, I think 75 or so. And that movie made quite an impression on me. I remember I saw the movie... I think that may have been the first Ray Harryhausen movie I ever saw in the theaters. Two. And I remember I had the novelization with the eight-page photo insert. I had the Marvel Comics adaptation. And I wouldn't swear to it. I, I mean, I probably knew who Ray Harryhausen was from reading Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, edited by Forey Ackerman. But I, I think Golden Voyage of Sinbad may be the movie that sort of, oh, oh, Bang, I kind of, I registered who Ray Harryhausen was and he imprinted and oh, that's a Ray Harryhausen movie. I have to go see a Ray, you know, it really, mm -hmm. that was the one that came out when I was 15 and I sort of, you know, oh, registered who he was and how important he was. I have, you know, since gone back and filled and everything. But yeah, Golden Voyage was a lot of fun. It came out in 75. It was one of the big movies before Star Wars changed everything. And yeah, you had all sorts of amazing features. You had... You had Tom Baker prior to Doctor Who playing the uh, evil uh, wizard. Yes. Yeah. So you had, you know, whoa. So that was, I think, I remember going to see that like a Saturday, af Saturday afternoon matinee when I was 15 years old and it blew my head. And I, that movie was a big deal. So, yes. It's, we, we don't want it to be the Jan Brady of, of Sinbad movies here. We've talked about, <laughs> we've talked about Eye of the Tiger, but in the middle, there was The Golden Voyage with Tom Baker and Carol Monroe and an amazing array of Ray Harryhausen monsters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and John Palapla, who's also in Barbarella. Yes, he was, yeah. he was the angel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. Well, Drew, you're already talking. Um, you know, what else about uh, Harryhausen you want to add? Uh, oh my gosh. I mean, there's just so many things like the, the, the centaur fight, the, the Griffin, um, the, you know, that, that, that battle alone would, would have made anyone a superstar in terms of, of effects. But, um, you know, the, the, the movies themselves are, are works of genius. The impact that they've had on science fiction and fantasy filmmaking has been nothing short of phenomenal. I, I, I doubt there's more than two or three science fiction effects experts that could claim to be as as widely um, studied, imitated, and yet unrivaled as Harryhausen. Agreed. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Um, Roberto. That's why I asked before in terms of what, if he was a producer of the movies, because if he's rare, um, I forget the name who also did the visual effects for 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and the Black Hole, uh, the work for Disney. And 
he and also the special effects for uh, Earthquake. Anyway, long story short, what I'm trying to say is that it's very rare to see an artist being able to in Hollywood to be able to do this art without being destroyed by the system. And mm. Harry wasn't not one of those guys. He kept working until the end and the quality of the work never suffered and it was perfect. It, it, when he retired with Clash of the Titans, I mean, I cannot think of a better movie for you to retire in uh, terms of saying, this is what I can do, drop the mic and just leave stage life. It's like, it's impressive that he could do that. And there's not a single weak link in, in terms of the volume of his work. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, just to add to that, because um, my perception of what Harryhausen did, I mean, he was... He was the number one stop-motion animation effects artist in Hollywood. And so if you, I mean, and and his credits spoke for themselves. So if there was something that you needed and you wanted the best guy, I mean, yeah, there were other people, you know, because what you had the, uh, oh, what the, um, uh, the, the, crap, I can't think the, uh, the, Christmas cartoons and the you right. know stuff yes. like uh, Rudolph and yes. you know Santa Claus is coming to town and all this the Rankin I mean, Bass production. Thank you, Rankin Bass, exactly. And so you know people were doing those, and there were a lot of people doing because you had commercials and mm-hmm. you know this was a whole industry. But this guy, I mean, if you wanted it and you wanted it done right and you wanted the best, you brought him in and. It always got done, and I'm assuming that he got in on budget and on time, and, uh, you know, so I'm not surprised that he is somebody who uh, people kept coming back to, you know, because he was very well established. So, uh, you know, and on top of that, I mean, you know, had, had it not been for the development of CGI, we'd probably be still be seeing that stuff, you know? I mean, you know, the techniques that he had refined, you know, because uh, Clash of the Titans came out in 1981. And, uh, you know, relatively speaking, that's, that's, that's pretty recent. And that was a big-budget movie. And those were the effects that they used. And they fit in pretty much seamlessly with everything that was going on, you know, particularly the stuff with Pegasus, uh, the Kraken stuff. You know, we've mentioned uh, the um, uh, Medusa, you know, and all those little snakes and, you know, their forked tongues and all this kind of thing. And to integrate all of that with live action performers and to make it believable, because, I mean, I honestly, I never watched a Ray Harryhausen picture and thought, oh, that looks fake. (laughs) Never once. I mean, the stuff always looked great and took your breath away for the most part, you know, so... I don't know what uh, greater testimony there can be uh, for the quality of somebody's work. Mm-hmm. Ah, but, yes, as, so as I mentioned, uh, today, of course, is July 4th, Independence Day. And as such, we would be remiss if we didn't let you hear James T. Kirk. Because <laughs> you know, some people learned about the preamble to the Constitution by listening to uh, (laughs) Schoolhouse Rock, you know, and I'm not saying that I didn't, but primarily there was this gentleman. (laughs) Only the eyes of a chief, they see the Eve Plebnista. This was not written for chiefs. 
Hear me. Hear this? Among my people, we carry many such words as this from many lands, many worlds. Many are equally good and are as well respected. But wherever we have gone, no words have said this thing of importance in quite this way. Look at these three words written larger than the rest with a special pride never written before or since. Tall words proudly saying, we the people. That what you call Eid Plebnista was not written for the chiefs or the kings or the warriors or the rich or the powerful, but for all the people. Down the centuries you have slurred the meaning out of the words we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, to ordain and establish this Constitution. These words and the words that follow were not written only for the Yangs, but for the Koms as well. The Koms? They must apply to everyone, or they mean nothing. Do you understand? I do not fully understand one named Kirk. But the holy words will be obeyed. I swear it. There you go. James T. Kirk with the last word here on Independence Day. So uh, that's our show. Um, you know, before we get out of here, I did want to give everybody an opportunity to uh, talk a little bit about what they were doing or what they had coming up. Uh, Roberto, you mentioned something about SIGGRAPH. Uh, we supposed, yep. hmm? Yes, yes, indeed. We were supposed to have the conference here in Washington, D.C. The world's largest computer graphics conference was supposed to happen in the D.C. Convention Center. You will have been exposed to Hollywood and all the magics of visual effects and all the cool stuff that happens here in D.C. related to computer graphics. But thanks for a little friend called COVID, it's not going to be happening physically, but we moved the conference online. So go to www.sigraph.2020.org for more information about the conference. And trust me, it's going to be amazing. You're going to be basically seeing the future of cinema if you attend that conference. All right. And that's SIGGRAPH, S-I-G-G-R-A-P-H. Yes. There you go. All right. Uh, Drew, what about you? Where can people find you? Where can they follow you? Uh, what are you into? What are you doing? Oh, gosh. Um, well, let's see. These days, I'm still doing a little bit of reviewing for SF Review. That's sfrevu.com. And um, doing a little writing for idope.com as well. Doing a few reviews there. I just did a review recently for the season of Doom Patrol. So, uh, um, you know, I'm here and there online and uh, working on a couple projects and hopefully something will get will get going. So, mm. Thank you. Hey, Drew, is it Doom Patrol that dropped like yesterday or today? Uh, last week. Ah, OK. Mm. I was talking to Shireen. I'm going to have to edit this whole part out. But I was talking to Shireen today <laughs> and I knew it was something. I knew something came out. And I couldn't remember what it was, and I ventured it might have been Umbrella Academy, but she was like, nah, that's in July. And when you said yeah. Doom Patrol, I was like, 
Doom Patrol. That's exactly what it was. They released the first three episodes, and she has a link to the fourth. So, um, I mean, I may just go ahead and watch the third because we've got uh, DC Universe. So, yeah, gotcha. All right. Oh, all right. And Greg, where can people find you? Where can they follow you? Uh, what is your next project? Well, thank you for asking. As it happens, I have a new Star Trek novel coming out in November. The full title, taking a deep breath here, is Star Trek. The original series, A Contest of Principles. Cool. And that's coming out from Simon & Schuster, I believe, on November 10th. And in fact, tomorrow, my agenda for tomorrow is to do the last and final, please God, final proofread on the page proofs to finally put the book to bed. Congratulations. Cool. Oh, that's Pretty great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And where can people follow you if they want to uh, keep up with your work? Well, um, I, I erratically update my web website at gregcox/author.com, but honestly, I'm pretty easy to find. Just Google Greg Cox, and you know, I'm not the politician in San Diego. I'm, <laughs> I'm the Star Trek guy. I'm the monster guy. You know, so when it comes to you know, from all the links to Star Trek author Greg Cox, that's me. All right. So a politician in uh, San Diego. Uh, get that out of here. I'm so glad that's not you. <laughs> and, of course, Fantastic Forum, as I mentioned, is also a television show. And if you happen to be in the Arlington area, you can check that out tonight at 8 p.m. on uh, Arlington Independent Media, Comcast Channel 69, Verizon Fios Channel 38. We also happen to be on in Philadelphia and in Manhattan and in the District of Columbia. Check your local listings for the times and days. Also, uh, this show happens to re-air each and every Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. If you miss any portion of it on a Saturday, you can catch the whole thing on Thursday afternoon. And of course, visit the website at fantasticforum.tv. You can check out complete episodes of the TV show, complete episodes of the radio show. We've got segments of the TV show broken out with all of the... Oh, somebody's doing something. Oh, sorry. That, that, okay, there you go. Um, we've got, uh, you. oh, of course, you can also check out fantasticforum.tv because we've got complete episodes of the television show. We've got complete episodes of the radio show. We've got segments of the television show. If you want to watch any of the interviews, if you want to see the event coverage, if you want to see the toy and game profiles, if you want to see, well, basically, if you want to see any part of it, it's all available there on the website. And, of course... Make sure to come back again next week, same bat time, same bat station. In the meantime, this pandemic is not over, people. We'd better start acting like we're serious about it before we all become zombies here. I don't think anybody wants that. Have a great Independence Day. Safe weekend, people. <laughs>